Yes, it was a much simpler time when The Simpsons used to be funny, and that is also the subject of today's episode of Enter the Bat Cave. I am Matthew Burris here, and just like I promised, we're going to be talking about The Incredible Hulk. Yep, we're going to be talking about 
issue number one of The Incredible Hulk. Well, actually, we're going to be talking more about the origin story. Yeah, we're going to talk about the origin story today. Doing this episode right now as I'm recording this at 9.42 at night. Uh, had a group that I went to, and so I'm putting this up late. So, like I said, I'd be putting it up more late because I'm part of a... Um, I'm part of a meetup group, and, you know, I'm trying to socialize more, especially now because it's summertime. Of course, uh, it was raining off and on today, and I actually got soaking wet, but it was worth it because I met a potential girl, and I, well, actually, I met two potential girls, and one of them could have the potential of being my future wife. (laughs) Well, we'll see. So, sorry if this is going up late, but uh, as I mentioned before, in the last episode, you're going to have to be patient. Patient. Little children. Huh. A little dream girls right there. Didn't sing it as good as Eddie Murphy, but still pretty good. So, anyways, we are going into the Incredible Hulk, and of course I'm using the Marvel Masterworks um, version of the Incredible Hulk. Yeah, volume one of um, Marvel Masterworks. This had the collection of old school comics of the Incredible Hulk, and I actually got this when I was in high school. Yeah, I got it when I was in high school. I went to a Barnes & Noble's and I got this. Uh, My my tutor at the time, he... um, you know, he took me to Bertucci's, he also took me to Barnes and Nobles, and I got this, and I was such a happy kid. Still, I'm a happy kid. <laughs> and of course, the first issue came out on May 1st, 1962. Wow, May 1st, 1962. So it's been 10, 20, 30, 40... 50, it's been 60 years. Wow, 60 years ago, the Incredible, the first issue of the Incredible Hulk came out. Wow. And yep. And we're gonna get into it right now. The the coming of the Hulk. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Part one. The coming of the Hulk. The Hulk. Half man, half monster. The mighty Hulk thunders out of the night to take his place among the most amazing characters of all time. Alone in the desert stands the most awesome weapon ever created by man. The incredible G-bomb. Miles away behind solid concrete bunkers, a nervous scientific task force waits for the Gamma's bomb's first awesome test firing. And none is more tense, more worried than Dr. Bruce Banner, not David Banner, the man whose genius created the gene bomb. A few seconds more and we'll know whether we have succeeded or not. I was against it from the start, Banner, and I still am. It is too dangerous. I still say you should have confided in us, your fellow scientists. You should have told us the secret of the gamma ray. Quiet, Igor. 
Here comes General Ross. Why the delay, Banner? What are you waiting for? <clears throat> My men have been stationed here for weeks, wasting time because of your infernal delays. Are you going to test that Blaine bomb or not? Of course, General. It's just that I must be sure every precaution has been taken. We are tampering with powerful forces. Powerful forces? Bah! A bomb is a bomb. With The trouble with you is you're a milksop. You've got no guts. They should have put me in charge of this, of this test. By thunder, it would have been done by now. Oh, Daddy. Don't be so unfair. Dr. Bruce Banner is one of our most famous scientists. I'm sure he knows what he's doing. You keep out of this, Betty. This is man talk. <clears throat> Don't mind, Dad. Dr. Banner, ever since he was nicknamed Thunderbolt Ross, he's tried to live up to, you, to it. Thank you, Miss Ross. Good luck, Dr. Banner. And now, if you'll excuse me, it's time for the final countdown. It's ding... Dong, well, about time. Listen, Banner, this is your last chance to tell me the secret of the harnessing, the gamma, yeah, harnessing the gamma rays. It isn't right for you to be the only one who knows. Sorry, Igor, the formulas are locked in my room and they will stay there. You fool! Nobody has checked your work. If you had made an error, you might blow up half the continent. I oughta... I don't make errors, Igor. Dr. Banner, the countdown has begun. I'll talk to you later, Igor. You know how I detest men who think with their fists. In a few seconds, we will finally learn what happens when the powerful gamma rays are released. Wait! What's that? Good lord, it's a boy! Teenager! He's driving into the test area. Igor, delay... The countdown until I can get to that boy. Hurry, man. Every second counts. Sure. What a stroke of luck. All I have to do is keep my finger off the hold button and it'll, and it'll be the end of Bruce Banner. You! Get out of there. You're in a forbidden test area. Cool it, man. The kids bit me. I wouldn't have enough. I wouldn't have nerve enough to sneak past the guards. Hey, what are you trying to do? Make them think I'm a chicken? Come on, you fool. <clears throat> We've got to reach the protective trench before the bomb goes off. Bomb? Meanwhile, at the bunker, not having been told to delay the firing, a finger touches the fatal button. Three, two, one. There, you're safe. And now I'll... Ah! Although many miles from Bomb Zero, Dr. Bruce Banner is bathed in the full force of the mysterious gamma rays. The world seems to stand still, trembling on the shrink on the brink of infinity, as his ear-splitting scream fills the air. And he is still screaming hours later when he's coming out of it. Thank heaven. Banner, it's a miracle you're still alive. You're absorbed the full impact of the gamma rays. How... How did I get here? My name is Rick Jones. I brought you. 
You saved my dumb life. I figured it was the least I could do for you. It's a funny thing. I'm an orphan, and no one ever did anything for me before. Except you, a stranger. It's getting dark out. How long are they going to keep us here, Doc? I don't know. I don't know. They must be waiting for me to die. It isn't possible to take so much gamma radiation and not have something happen. I'm, I'm beginning to feel strange. My head is throbbing. This must be the end. The whole world's going batty. Even this kooky radio. It won't play. All it gives out with is static. Click, click. That's no radio. It's a Geiger counter. It measures radiation. Listen to it. It's it's going wild. It's getting louder and louder. Faster and faster. What's what's happening? What is happening? Ah! Hey, look at you. You change. Get out of my way, insect. Here am I. I where am I? Why am I locked in here? I want to get out. Holy cow. He's breaking down the wall like it, it was cardboard. Out. Hey, Sarge, look ahead. What's that? Men. More little men. I don't know, but if he doesn't stop, we'll hit him. <laughs> As the stunned enlisted men backed themselves up from the wreckage, the mighty thing that was once Bruce Banner turns and have to go have to get away to hide like a wounded behemoth the man monster storms off into the waiting night wait for me one lone figure follows him as a legend is born you saved my life you need me now wait I'm going with you and that right there is, of course, part one of the origins of the Incredible Hulk, and uh, some backstory here on this. Um, yep, the writer was uh, Stan Lee. Yep, the incredible Stan Lee. And Stan Lee actually was inspired by the old Frankenstein movie with Boris Koloff. And, you know, and that's why, like you see on the cover um, of the comic, or the cover of the book, as you see here, is you see the Incredible Hulk as gray. Originally, they wanted him to be gray, just like Frankenstein, but the color printer at that time kept messing up, and... You know, it would change him into blue and purple, and and so eventually later on by the next issue, um, issue number two, which was um, the terror of the yeah the terror of the Toad Man, uh, the Incredible Hulk would would be turning green. Yeah, green would be his um, would be his official color. And the inkers were Paul Reidman. Uh, he did 
issues number one, Steve Ditko, uh, world-famous penciler and art artist for Marvel, uh, did issues number two and six. Dick Ayers did issues number three and five. And, of course, the pencil, another one of the pencilers was uh, Steve Ditko. I'm sorry, uh, Jack Kirby. Yeah, Jack Kirby. His name synonymous with the Incredible Hulk, the Fantastic Four, and everyone and anybody in between. And, you know, it's a good origin story. I like it. And I think you'll also love the whole uh, Marvel Masterworks as well. Um... It includes uh, issue number one, you know, um, you know the origin story of the Hulk. Then there's issue number two, the Terror of the Toad Men. Then there's issue number. I'm just going through the context here. Uh, issue number three, Banished into Outer Space. Uh, issue number. Four, the Monster and the Machine, issue number five, Beauty and the Beast, and issue number six, The Incredible Hulk versus the Metal Master. Yeah. And there's actually an introduction here by Stan Lee, so uh, I'm going to go into that right now. All right, here's the introduction by Stan Lee. Don't say we didn't warn you. We threatened to bring out more and more titles in our Marvel Masterworks series if the first few became bestsellers. So it's your own fault. You cleared the dealer shelves of the Fantastic Four, Spidey, and the X-Men as fast as we could print them. Now we give you The Hulk, the fourth in a seemingly endless series of representations of the volumes which introduced the mighty world of Marvel to a defenseless, unsuspecting reading public. Yep, trying to do my best, Stanley and here. Hope it's good. You know, the whole Hulk thing almost started as a gag in trying to create a new superhero, a dashing do-gooder who'd be different from the usual run-of-the-mill costume crusaders. My thoughts kept turning back to one of the most popular characters in the Fantastic Four, none other than bombastic Benjamin Grimm, the ever-loving, bashful, blue-eyed thing. If you've been with Marvel for a while, and what a true Blue Fantasy fan hasn't, you've probably noticed that I have an uncontrollable penchant for descriptive little phrases, which, to embellish, are manic misanthropes, M-I-S-A-N-T-H-R-O-P-E-S, sorry if I pronounced that wrong, but, le but leave us not digress. The more I dwelled upon the thing's popularity, the more I realized that everyone likes a mixed-up, misunderstood, monster-type martyr. So long as we know that beneath the grotesque surface there beats a heart as noble and pure as a driven comic book creator. Then, another thought hit me. Anyone who had ever seen the original Frankenstein movie starring Boris Karloff as the monster probably has a soft spot in his or her heart for the sued-together strongman whom Karloff so brilliantly portrayed. I know I do. As far as I was concerned, the tragic misunderstood monster was actually the hero of that movie. 
He was the one who most aroused my sympathy. My mind was made up. Our next featured hero would be a monster of some sort. But who? What? How? Not wanting to get too far afield from the basic formula which the fans so ravishingly devoured, I tried to figure out how to give a monster a secret identity. Then I remembered Stevenson's The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Bingo! That was it. I can still recall the expression on artist Jack Kirby's face when I told him I liked him to create an attractive monster. He would have to be big, powerful, scary, but someone the readers would learn to love. It's a monument to Jolly Jack's skill that he actually succeeded in designing such an improbable character. Even though he came to be known as Marvel's Jolly Green Giant, you'll notice that our roll-licking rampager's skin is actually gray in the very first issue. That's because I thought gray would be a heavy, dramatic, somber color, in keeping with the melodramatic mood we wanted to establish. However, after seeing the first printed copies, oh, got a notification, I felt the color didn't work as well as I hoped. So exercising a writer's prerogative, I changed it to green. Oh, the feeling of unlimited power one gets in the comic book biz. You'll notice that the first five Hulk issues were produced by Jack and me, but when we got to number six, Steve Ditko, he of Spider-Man and Doctor Strange fame, took over the art assignment. You'll probably get a kick out of comparing the different styles of those two acknowledged masters of the world of illustrated narrative. In fact, if I may be be permitted a personal word, and you'll notice there's a just no way to stop me, one of the greatest pleasures and privileges of my life has been to have had the opportunity of working with talents such as Kirby, Ditko, and the many, many other gifted artists in the fabled Marvel bullpen. But, even though I could go on yakking at, your, at you forever, and it probably seems if I will, the time has come for us to let the stories speak for themselves. So settle back and prepare to journey with us to that time a few decades ago when comic books were coming of age and legend was still a borning. It's a heady trip to a simpler, more innocent day, and we hope you enjoy the voyage. Excelsior! Stanley, 1989. Uh, I don't know what Excelsior means. That was just uh, his catchphrase. But um, that's a good catchphrase, though. Yeah, that's a very good catchphrase. And that'll do it for today's episode. Next week, the final week of Marvel in May, I'm going to be bringing you my top 10 favorite Marvel superheroes of all time. Yep, my top 10. So make sure that uh, you all tune in. I know this is a relatively short episode, but I wanted to get up to you guys as soon as possible. Thank you for being so patient with me, and I hope you all enjoy, 
And until then, Excelsior!